part of my teaching to entrepreneurs is a concept called dual directive. And that is a concept that basically explains to the entrepreneur that as founder, as director of their businesses, that they have two directives. The first is to provide value to their clients. And the second is to receive value from their clients. That second directive is very often missed. And that is where the abuse starts. If you've ever been abused by a client, then this is a must-listen-to lesson. Hi, I'm Gareth Armstrong, and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. In this lesson, we're going to hear Alon telling us stories about how he and Razcorp have been abused. You'll hear about the wall in reception at the Razcorp head office that displays businesses that abused them and some that even try to bribe them. And you'll also hear about how to avoid being abused by your clients going forward. This series is all about learning from the lessons of others. More specifically, learning from the successes and failures that Alon Reyes, CEO of Razcorp, has experienced over the last 20 years. As we now rejoin Alon, it is well worth having a pen handy and a notebook close by to record your thoughts and impressions in. Let's say it as it is. When you're starting up a business and you have a client, the power lies with the client. There's a huge power differential, especially with a large corporate who might give you an opportunity to do a small piece of their work. In your mind, there's this dream that you would get more and more of their work and eventually become a huge supplier to them. But the corporates understand this. And unfortunately, many corporate employees take advantage of this power differential and become abusive in that differential. How did they become abusive? They become abusive by asking you for freebies. They become abusive by paying you incredibly late. They become abusive by asking for discounts at the last moment. They become abusive by including all sorts of requirements at the last minute after you've done the work, such as we need this proof and that proof and the other proof. And this happens far more often than I would like to see. In some corporates, there are incentives in place for that corporate to pay late. So they are effectively using small business to fund the big corporate business. For example, receiving money in 30 days and they pay their suppliers in 60 or 90 days. That means that the suppliers are funding the corporate business. Now this is smart, but when you're a small business, funding a large corporate is a, a concept that is untenable for me. Have you ever had a client that asked for more than was originally agreed to without being willing to pay more? Have they ever used their size and position to coerce you to do things or absorb frustrations that you'd not normally have done with anyone else? Or perhaps it is a smaller client that thinks just because money is being exchanged that they can treat you like they own you. If your answer is yes to any of these symptoms and any of those Alon has shared, then you may just be a victim of abuse. Bringing this back to the dual directive, we've heard Alon share that the first directive is to provide value to our clients and the second is to receive value from our clients. 
Holding the idea of abuse in our minds, let's explore the dual directive in more detail. The dual directive says that the first directive is that you provide value to your clients. And the second directive is that you receive value from your clients. You can receive that value in multiple forms. So it's not necessarily money. It is ideally in money, but it also could be in experience, bragging rights or portfolio pieces, entering into new markets. It could be about learning new things. If you can perceive the value in a different way to money, that's fine as long as it's a means to an end. Let's say, for example, in using a portfolio piece, the fact that, and I'm going to use a random example, you've done work for Coca-Cola, it's a nice big brand, and you can say that we do work for Coca-Cola. And so you can leverage that in order to get other work. That is value for you, but you have to determine how much value that is and what it's worth to you. Earlier on in your journey, you will find far more value in doing that. And later, those kinds of portfolio pieces will be less valuable because your portfolio will be filled with more and more examples of good work that you've done. I remember more than 15 years ago being given an opportunity to do some entrepreneurial development work in a rural context. Myself and Rose Corp had never ever done work in that context and I remember saying to the client I actually don't know the answer to this but if there's anyone who's curious enough to work this out it would be myself and Rose Corp. We got the work and we had miscalculated the actual cost of building that solution but I wasn't upset at all because the learning curve that we gained from doing the work the insights into what worked and didn't work in that environment were incredibly valuable for us to create product in the rural space that we could then sell onto other potential clients. And that's exactly what we did. In my mind, I labeled it as university fees and that we were being paid for in some slight way and then made the real profitable opportunity with other clients into the future. So I wasn't bitter at all about the fact that it was badly priced. I took responsibility for that, but I knew upfront that I didn't know, but I was prepared to go down that journey so that I could find out. So one of the things we seem to need to be determining as early on as possible is where we can and will extract value. As Alon has pointed out, value can be enjoyed in a number of different ways. The important lesson here seems to be to bring it to the surface to write them down and possibly even try and find metrics that will help you and I determine the limits of where value ends and abuse starts. I know this is not really nice to say, but being abused by customers is almost a rite of passage for entrepreneurs. I haven't met one entrepreneur that hasn't gone through it. Certainly one that hasn't built a big business that hasn't gone through it. And it doesn't really go away. It just diminishes over time as you work out over time where your boundaries are. And I think that word boundaries is the important word here. You start to develop a sense of your value over time, your relative value to your competitors in the market. And you get to a point where you will not 
do work at a certain price or under certain conditions. When you walk into Race Corp head office in Johannesburg, we have a challenges wall. On that wall are framed logos of companies that have abused us in some way or another. Now, some of these companies have had individuals there that have quite openly said that they will only do work with us if we bribe them. And so we put their names proudly on the wall. And others have taken us through a process of complete abuse where we have flown up and down to a small obscure town in the middle of nowhere to do some research, spent days living in a crappy little motel, putting together a proposal, being told that it doesn't have sufficient information, going up and down again until we get what the client wants. And then the client receives this only to be told, no, we've decided to take this in-house. And all the IP, all the work that was done was effectively done on our dime at our cost. And I find that really, really abusive. And if you speak to many entrepreneurs, and perhaps it's happened to you, where this kind of thing is going on actually far too often. I then asked Alon what else can be done to stop the abuse. One way is to know how abuse takes place. And that is really almost a scam approach where you are given a huge opportunity and told how wonderful the future is going to be for you if you get this all right. And then you ask for certain evidence back, such as when will the contract be awarded? What's the value of the contract? How many competitors are there? And there's really very scant information around the specifics that you require. If that kind of thing is happening, it's starting to indicate to you that the person in the corporate actually doesn't have that information or that information doesn't exist at all. In other words, this is for their information only and that you are not in a competitive bid. So when you ask in that instance for who are you competing against, there is no one you're competing against because it was always going to be for you to do the work for them so that they could get that information and present it to their boss as their work and using the ruse of we're going to give you this work. And that happens, as I said before, way too often, really, really way too often. I've had a situation with one of the banks where we spent one year, literally one year of up and down, proposal after proposal, presentation after presentation, doing all the costings, design work at our cost, brought in designers, architects, the whole shebang, only to be told, no, you weren't successful. And about six months later, seeing our exact work done by that bank by themselves. They had completely stolen the idea. They had never had an intention to give us the work. And some, actually some financial institutions are notorious for this. Coming back to how you prevent abuse. So this happened with this one bank. Then we get a call from the person who replaced the abuser, the same role as the person who had abused us. That other person had moved on and now a new person was sitting in that role. So I get a call from this individual and they 
say they've seen all the work that we've done and they'd like a meeting. I respond to them and say, if you would like a meeting, it's going to cost you 98,000 Rand. There's silence on the phone and the individual says, I don't understand what you mean that you're going to charge me 98,000 Rand for a meeting. So I said, listen, you work for a bunch of thieves. You won't be able to help yourself. So if you want a meeting with me, I deem that as consulting and I'm going to charge for that hour 98,000 Rand. If you want the meeting, that's what you're going to have to pay. The reason I used 98,000 Rand was because I knew that that individual had 100,000 Rand delegation of authority and could make that decision. So I thought nothing of it. And the person then responds to me, send me the invoice. I went running down to my accounting department and said, make me an invoice for 98,000 Rand for consulting. I emailed the individual and they said, okay, I'd like to set up an appointment for X date. I said, that's fine, but please make sure that you've paid the 98,000 before you arrive, which they did. Okay, so now the individual's sitting in my boardroom. I've got 98,000 Rand. I'm feeling quite smug. And the individual says, look, I don't know what happened beforehand. I'm very, very sorry about that. How would you solve the problem? And I said, well, for 98,000 Rand, I'll speak. And I spoke. And they said, this is amazing stuff. And said, could you put a proposal together? I said, ah, a proposal. That will cost 400,000 Rand. And why did I say 400,000 Rand? Because I knew now that if they were going to spend 400,000 Rand, he could not sign that off. It had to go higher than him. And then if they were going to make the commitment for 400,000 Rand, somebody would have to be serious about this. And so he smiled at me. He said, send me the invoice. So I said, fine. I sent him the invoice. He says, when can I expect the proposal? I said, once you've paid. They paid the 400,000 Rand. And I put together a proposal. And the proposal went nowhere. And I wasn't actually bitter at that point. I actually felt quite good because I basically gained back 500,000 Rand. And so there is a point where your boundaries kick in, no matter what they're promising you. And he did. And he promised, I'm sorry, it won't be like this with me. But it was. And so I'm not saying that it will happen with everyone. But there is a point where you become boundaried. When that happens, to me, that's the point of maturity in starting to scale and build your business into the future. And coming back to the 20 lessons, I wish I had become boundaried earlier on in my journey. And I had not been so open to abuse and been prepared to sort of eat it for so long before I woke up. Nearly 500,000 rand for a meeting and a proposal. <laughs> Nicely done. And this was possible because Alon was learning those boundaries along with a deeper appreciation and understanding of that first directive, the value he and Racecorp were able to offer. Here's a final word from Alon where he guides us on how to do this ourselves and how to also better approach conversations with our clients from the get-go. So you want to walk into an opportunity with a mixture of I'm boundaried, but I'm open flexible but unboundaried it's not my way or the highway now but it's not your way or the highway either we have to find each other and understand each other's value and that's the dual directive what's valuable to you what's valuable to me here are my terms and conditions 
This is how I like to work. How do you like to work? I like to be paid 30 days. How do you like to pay? Oh, 60 days. Why is that? Okay, I can live with that or I can't live with that. Can we compromise on 45 days? Or you could have a whole set of differences and then say, well, you win this difference and I win that difference. So in each situation, it's about working with a client or potential client in order to find a way to move forward. But when you start to give the signaling that you boundaried up front, there's a different relationship with you. And so up front, we will ask, so what are your terms? If it's a project, are we going to milestone this project and you're going to pay after each milestone? What's also important is the scope of work. A scope of work is something that I've become more and more respectful of, that you spend time scoping out the work and signing off what the scope of work is. And that becomes an incredibly important document in the future when the client turns around and says, you didn't give me what I want. And so this is what we both agreed and we're working to that. And so those are the kinds of tools that you can put in place in order to boundary yourself in a professional way. What upsets me is that many entrepreneurs actually enter into abusive relationships knowingly. We all hear the chorus of the government takes so long to pay and it's killing small business. So many small businesses enter into contracts with government knowing that and then a few months later just join the chorus of saying oh government doesn't pay us on time you can't go into an abusive relationship or knowing the terms that you're entering and then complain about it later if you're going to go into that relationship and know that you're going to be paid 90 or 120 days then make sure you've got sufficient funding and margin to deal with that level of abuse or that engagement criteria and don't complain about it. So I think there's also a sense of responsibility that we need to take in who we get into business with and who we do business for and on what terms. So lesson six for me is very important that you understand your dual directive. You have to provide value to your client, but equally important is that your client needs to add value to you. What's certain is that incorporating the dual directive into how we operate is a process. It comes with experience, it comes with maturity, and it comes once we've made the decision to actively seek out both the opportunity to give value and to receive it. Speaking of giving value, head over to raisecorp.com where you'll find similar resources to this one and also the opportunity to sign up for notifications to stay updated on new releases. In addition to this, Follow RaceCorp on your favorite social media platforms where you'll find additional updates about this podcast series and others we are producing. My name is Gareth Armstrong and I'll see you in the next lesson.